All right, what do you got for me? Here it goes. Austin, Davao, Singapore, London, Hanoi, New York City, Los Angeles, Shenzhen, Saigon, Taipei, Bangkok, Barcelona, Manila, San Francisco, Chiang Mai, Berlin. Wow. And you'll be attending the Saigon meetup, and I'll be attending the Davao meetup. I'm thinking about maybe going to a different one every month. What do you that think? would be fun. That would be fun. So, well, we'll talk about these meetups. Why don't we get started with the show? All right. Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Happy Thursday morning. It's a Tropical MBA podcast. We were just, I guess, looking at the, this, this idea of Junto is a Benjamin Franklin thing. And it's something that we're doing with DCers. This is idea of how can we systematically get DCers to meet up around the world? Because what, what ends up happening is it's like this super jet set crowd of entrepreneurs and they, everybody's traveling all the time. So you're get, we're getting like a high volume of lunch and coffee requests. Correct. So how do you get everybody into the one room, you know, once a month. And the other cool thing is like, how do you then travel, like uh, set up your travel plans such that you're like, I'm actually going to places on the third week of the month now because yeah. I know that the third Thursday. Yeah, this is a big problem. I mean, this is, this is a, f- a first world problem, but this is a location independent problem. But yeah. here's the problem is that uh, I'm, I'm looking at the map and I have been looking at the map for the last couple of weeks because I'm, I'm ready to leave Saigon here for a little bit. Yeah. And uh, you, I, I think you need purpose filled travel, right? So you're and, looking for ways to rustle up some trouble. Exactly. Right. Looking for ways to rustle up trouble. I'm looking for cities in which uh, I want to meet other people. Other people are hanging out, doing business. And I think the Juntos are a pretty good way to do that. Yeah. So I'm busting out here Wednesday night to go to the Deval Junto. I'll uh, probably be eight, eight or 10 of us down in Deval. And uh, you're renting out the Saigon hub here. And so if anybody's in Vietnam area, definitely hook up with Boss Man. And it should be interesting. I'm curious to see how these things go. And 14 other cities. Yeah. It's very <laughs> cool. Very cool. Today we are going to talk about thought experiments. We've got five thought experiments that we've been challenged with. These are fun episodes. By some, of, like the, some of the listeners of the show have challenged us with ideas. We're going to come with our unique perspectives um, and hopefully hear yours. This is going to be at tropicalmba.com slash thought experiment. First, a couple comments on last week's episode. We talked about consulting. Martin wrote in to give a really good link to a, the book, a book called The Consulting Bible. And it's been brilliant for learning how to deal with corporate clients. This is a good resource, so I wanted to make sure that I highlighted that. And also, Kaya Williams wrote in, this episode has won the crown of my favorite. That's last week's. How do you, what do you think about that? Finding market Impressive. solutions can seem daunting, but this co- podcast gives me hopes for getting results. So cheers, Kyle. Appreciate that. We got a call from Joe Blackman. Let's give it a listen. Yo, Dan. Man, I just quit my job. Feels great. Kind of stressful, but it's all good. I bought a franchise. I live in the East Bay area. It's called Instant Imprint. Just wanted to say thanks for you. Thanks, thanks. Thanks for everything you guys do. Thanks for all the content you guys share. And uh, I, what, what really got me going was when you guys always talked about making the cold call. You guys need to go back to saying that at the end of every episode. But um, hope all is well. Keep everything going. Thanks. Yeah, buddy Joe, when, when's the last time you made a cold call, boss man? Uh, four weeks ago. There you go. All right. Keeping yeah. it. 
just keeping the what do you say like keeping the knife sharp yeah <laughs> you gotta keep in practice that's right we got a, a few new itunes reviews one uh, itunes review from mr connell said i can't believe this is only the 45th review of this show and i gotta say ian the number one bummer about moving from lifestyle business podcast to tropical mba podcast here's what happened yeah here's what happened <laughs> It's just losing all those iTunes yeah. reviews. But anyway, I've got them posted up on my bedroom wall, so it's uh, they're, they're still in my heart, even if they're not on the iTunes official page. <laughs> Ian, before we get moving on to those five thought experiments, I wanted to share with you this idea of a jam session. So a jam session is this. You know I'm one of these guys that's like, I'm all about the bike metaphor, which is that like taking modafinil and drinking coffee and exercising is like how fast you pedal. But what entrepreneurs do is they select the right gear to be in. So in other words, leverage is your number one form of productivity, not modafinil or work or hustle, hustle. You know what, I, you know what I'm saying, right? Okay. One brave decision a year can make more difference in your business than waking up at 6.30 in the morning and work until 6.30. I agree with that 100%. All right. That said... There are times when you've made that brave decision or when you know what needs to be done that sometimes you just got to crack a lack. Yes. And in order to do this, one really effective technique is something I'll call jam session. And me and you used to do this a lot. I recently did it a few weeks ago with Sebastian Marshall, and my results were I produced 11,000 words in one day. And the way we did it was we started at just after lunch. Why do we start after lunch? because that's a time when normally I'm taking a nap. So instead, I'm gonna turn that frown upside down. We have 50 minute bursts, working sessions, before which we say precisely what we intend to achieve, after which we analyze and retool and take a 15 minute break, then 50 minutes again. Ruthless for eight hours. We do this until the late evening. And the results are amazing, especially, it's just this cool way, you can't do this kind of thing every day. You know, you got to keep, I like this idea of you can still wake up and have a full work day until noon. And today I'm going to meet up with Mark Manson because we both have like real clear vision on, I mean, I got to pump out 5,000 words today. Right. I know what they are. I'm going to go to a jam session to do this. Yeah. I generally do these jam sessions around projects. That's what you're doing it around too. And so yeah. like when I have a specific project, then I'll say, okay, I'm going to do a jam session for the next three days or whatever. I know that what the deliverables are. I'm just going to sit down here and do it. I'm going to avoid my email. So the key thing is to have somebody else there. Yeah. I mean, like I got to look at Sebastian or Mark across my laptop or you and say, I like really blew that one. I blew that 50 minutes. You know, here's like, I think where I went wrong. Here's how I'm going to address it. I'm going to simplify it. And then you challenge each other. It's like, hey man, you really barking up the wrong tree there, you know? And it, man, it's just incredibly effective. It's exhausting, but I'll tell you what, I know Sebastian and I both, we felt this feeling of elation at 10 PM. We had gone from, I think 12 to 930 or something. And it was like one of the most memorable and fun days because we had pushed ourselves and we had reached creative heights. And, you know, a lot of times during the day, you won't push through those barriers when the resistance, the ugly monsters surfing you down. You know what I'll right. do? If I'm here in my apartment, I'll go watch Michael Jordan videos on YouTube. <laughs> but the lesson shouldn't be watch more Michael Jordan videos. The lesson should be do what Michael Jordan did, which is push through the adversity, be a boss and dunk over the big man. <laughs> <laughs> the big man being resistance. <laughs> All right, so that's, a, that's an idea of a jam session. Why don't you go out and have one of your own? They're, they're extremely fun for creative types, for entrepreneurs, go for it. All right, today's episode, actually I've got a little intro music here. We're gonna play ourselves in with the Mike Tyson punch out music. 
uh, training music just to get your uh, we did this one other chops. time before we had yeah. bells and everything like that that was a while ago though yeah that was a while ago alright let's do it again alright Ian first thought experiment I love this one because it makes location independent entrepreneurs squirm I love to watch people squirm here it is if you had to live in one place for the next five years five years it's like a century <laughs> and you could only leave for three months out of the year where would you choose to live yes I, I don't like this question at all <laughs> I think the reason I don't like this question is because ultimately I think I would pick two cities and here's the reason why is because they have the highest density of entrepreneurs and that's what I'm interested in right now. Right. And um, I think other cities are growing like that. Like uh, there's 20 entrepreneurs that I know of right now, internet entrepreneurs in Saigon and several other cities where we're having our Juntos this month. But ultimately the highest density of entrepreneurs right now uh, doing things that I'm interested in are in San Francisco and in New York. So I might have to uh, get on that 747 and hightail it back to the United States. Wow. I got to say that New York is an appealing proposition. I could see my I, I would not be crying if I had to live in Brooklyn for, you know, uh, five years. Five years. Yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> didn't even want to admit it. <laughs> uh, you know, you just don't know where the world's going to go. I mean, I, I, I got to say, like, I think Indonesia would be a place to, to, that I could say that about. I, I think that Bali is a place I could commit to for the next five years. I think the Internet will get there. I think that there's a lot of fascinating international entrepreneurs there. I think that there's a lot going on. I think Jakarta is an up-and-coming place in the tech scene. There's 200 plus million people in that country. There's a lot going on. So Indonesia would be my first choice. And then, uh, yeah, USA, good old USA probably, because I don't know. <laughs> it's not Five years. Let's get moving on to the next one. <laughs> By the way, I talked to Taylor. He's in Bali right now. Yeah. 0.5 up, 0.5 down. So it seems like things are just getting better. I thought there. we had a policy where we're not allowed to say anything <laughs> bad about Bali on this program. If Okay, number two, Ian. If you had to buy a jet in five years, or let's say that jet is a used one, because I know you probably, you wouldn't buy a new jet, buy you, a new buy, you buy one off the used car lot, so 15 mil, you had to make 15 mil in five years. I'd buy the one sitting on the tarmac with the covers over the, uh, over the uh, engines, yeah. you know, been there for a couple years. <laughs> or your mother would die, your mother would die Jeez. if you cannot buy this jet, okay? What business idea would you pursue? Uh, you go first while I think about it because I haven't yet. All right. So here's what I would do. I got a bunch of answers to this. This is the 737 plan, right? This is the idea of like if you had to buy the 737. I would probably – one of the things I could do or think about doing is taking the TMBA brand and going after stuff like University of Phoenix. So University of Phoenix is a paid-for credentialing system in the United States, which solves a problem that's profound but that's – going away or it's it's evolving very fast. So what they're taking advantage of is the fact that banks are willing to give people educational loans. And then the people that want people that are getting the loans, they need credentials like an MBA in order to get jobs. And so University of Phoenix is basically this whole alternative paid for university system that's kind of addressing the problems that some of the problems that the f the four-year university system has in the U.S. Some of these technical degrees, right? Like if you want to be a, a ultras ultrasonic uh, uh, technician or whatever. Yeah, it is. yes. So 
you see ROI from your investment, in other words, and there's a lot of opportunity there because banks are willing to loan for that kind of thing because there's ROI. So it's kind of an interesting thing where like it's it's sort of the position that builders are in, you know, in the United States where you know you have this incredible leverage because you've got buyers who want to spend a bunch of money and who see ROI, homeowners, and then you've got banks who want to invest in those assets. So yeah, I think I would find a way to position the TMBA brand in there and say like basically have a point of view like, look, all this is BS. I can create a system that gives you real ROI, maybe something like Team Treehouse is doing. So I think like entrepreneurial education is a huge, huge growth space. You know, a lot of people on the webs complain about how bloggers make money by telling people how to make money. Right. But here's the other side of that coin. Because the fact that they're making so much money demonstrates the profundity of the problem. The fact that Pat Flynn makes more money telling people how to make money, showing them how. That's why Pat's so great, by the way. He shows people how. Then he does selling architecture books. Now, a lot of people complain about that. But I look at that and say, well, what's a more profound problem than in the marketplace? Architecture books or teaching people how to work from home and make money from the internet? Well, the latter. Right. And so if you can come up with a system that people could get loans for, that people could invest in and see real ROI, I think that's a $15 million business. Boom. That's my idea. I, I think you're right. And I'm going to tack on to that. I think that as you know, we're in the industry, right? And I, I, don't, I really don't think that there's enough information <laughs> out there. You're in the industry. In the, I'm in sorry. The, <laughs> in the industry. And I don't think that there's enough information out there for uh, guys getting into it. You know what I mean? There's, just, there's not enough resources, you know? And if we think this is a trend, which we do. I think more people are going to become location independent entrepreneurs. I think more people are, are going to make their living online. There needs to be more educational services for them. And Agreed. like serious, serious, like you said, location independent services like Phoenix. Okay. So I'm not talking about just Pat Flynn. I think Pat Flynn does a great job. He's just one guy, yeah. right? We want a university online yeah. for this kind of stuff. Sure. And I think that that's what you're talking about. And I think it's coming, man. Yeah, for sure. Someone's going to do it. Absolutely. All right, challenge number three. What is the biggest, most easily avoided mistake you see new business owners making? It's all head games, right? Like part of, part of me thinks that, you know, you could say, well, I could say some concrete things. Like it's great to get a bookkeeper involved the first year of your business. Like take the 250 bucks, you know, walk down to your local bookkeeper and like get that set up. Okay. That's I'd like a, that's that's a big problem. I wouldn't say it's the highest problem. For right. me, the highest problem is still uh, guys and gals not niching down. Uh, guys and gals saying I'm a writer. Not a writer. You write about coffee tables in mid-century houses. Like that's yeah. a niche, right? Niche down. Niche down. Maybe the most misunderstood concept is I can't even say it. That's part is the parlay. Is the fact that 4 years ago you're the cat furniture guy. 3 years ago you're the this guy. Two years ago, you're the, that guy. And that the energy and the momentum you get from having that expertise and that. So if you choose a, a, a really deep niche, deep niche, we'll call it that, it's cheaper to get expertise. It's cheaper to get momentum. It's cheaper to get customers. And you can use that momentum to go on to bigger and better things. If you look at the stories of success, if you start with wanting to be Tony Robbins, you have all this in frontage. It's incredibly expensive to get a customer. It's incredibly expensive to be an expert at that level. It's incredible. All these things. Why not do the opposite and then parlay your successes up? When I really go back and decode success stories, it does seem that people start 
something really specific. Like look at Frank Kern and dog training and you name your guru and they, they got traction somewhere and that traction is key. That's this whole idea that Gladwell is bringing up of being the top of your class at Maryland rather than the middle of your class at Harvard. It's this idea of just racking up the small wins. Uh, Rob Walling talks about it with taking the step ladder approach, you know, just one step at a time. And me and you, we're like six years into our entrepreneurial career, and now we'll kick around ideas where we're like, maybe we should get an investor for that. Whereas, and a lot of our audiences come to us and said, hey, you guys are so cute, you don't even think about the possibility of investing. And part of it is that like, we're just not there yet. Like we don't, we don't know what to do with $10,000, let alone what to do with $10 million. So why are we gonna go try to get that money, you know? And I think it's just this idea, Paul Graham even says, you know, if you wanna be the kind of person that starts successful, or if you want to start a successful startup, become the kind of person that starts starts a successful startup. So a lot of that is like getting these small victories, getting momentum and building yourself up. Yeah, on day one, we did basically one thing, which was design and manufacture high quality modern cat furniture. That was it. You know? <laughs> now yeah, now we've got five different niches. We've got a podcast. We do all this entrepreneurial stuff, but that was it. All right. I'm gonna do uh, then a head game here. What is the easily avoided mistake? I would say this, an unwillingness to look at yourself and to improve yourself. So for all I say about game selection, what I see is a lot of people thinking that the reason their business isn't improving or that they're not getting off the ground or that they're not hiring a bunch of people or that they're not being profitable is that they haven't chosen correctly or they just need to tweak something in the process or that they just need to find the new niche. But it always seems to come down to a willingness to improve. Like if you were so great, the market would know that and they would be paying you money. I just think, I don't, I don't know what I'm getting at. I just, I feel like the ability to look at yourself, to aggressively root out your blind spots and to want to address them. I think one of the ways in which we've been successful doing this is uh, in one of the met- or one of the tools in our niche selection algorithm that we're constantly working on is you know or, or key points is basically we have to be the best in whatever niche that we select. Yeah, you know, and that really holds us to a high standard. So if you're going to get in to this niche, it's like can we be number one there? And I think that enough people, and what you're saying is enough people don't ask themselves that when they get into a niche or when they get into a market. They say, can I be number one there? Can I be the best? And if you're not the best, what makes the best, right? And you kind of got to tweak your attitude. You got to tweak your mindset, your product, whatever it is, right? And in, in, in the case in which you're speaking about right now, it's your mindset. Yeah, and, and one, I guess the mindset that I'm seeing is like the people who aren't seeing great results often like look out at the marketplace and say they find something wrong with it. And they're like, that's the reason why. Right. Whereas the winning mindset seems to be looking at yourself and saying, what is it about me that's not getting it done? Right. And, and how can I more appropriately position myself and improve my, either improve my position or improve my soul, improve how I roll, whatever it is, improve my soul, improve my role, whatever. <laughs> what is it that I can do to really get better? I don't know an entrepreneur. Have you, when's the last time you met an entrepreneur? You're like, what's the best book you read last year? And they're like, I don't read books. When's, I don't read books. People, what? Who is that person? I don't know. Every entrepreneur I know, they're taking notes. Take right. the freaking notes. All right. Freaking notes. All right. All right, Ian. Here's one. You're a podcaster. Challenge number four. If you were starting the Tropical MBA podcast from scratch today, how would you get that business 
to six figures, what's something that you would do? Okay, so one thing that we could do is uh, we could actually start talking about our product business on this podcast a little bit more. And we could start talking about e-commerce. We could start talking about manufacturing products. So you're talking about like seminars. Now imagine you're at episode number one, numero uno, bro. So you step up there and you're like, look, here's our business. Here's our business. Splay it out, Pat. 100%. Okay. Splay it out and start talking about exactly how we do things and then start teaching people exactly how we do it. So you're basically saying then like, all right, well, here's the product, here's the development process, here's the design process. We brand those processes and then we say, if you'd like to do this with us, you pay us X amount of money, you fly to China with your CAD drawings or we get you your CAD drawings and then we launch your product. Yep, 100%. That would be awesome. That's really cool. One other thing we could do is we we could start a show. We fantasized about this, right? Sell the business, get rid of everything, except the Yeti mic. And all I do is have tea delivered at 9 a.m. every morning, and we sit here and do drive time talk show. And that turns into just something that's pure entertainment and inspiration. I think that that's something that not a lot of podcasters have done. John Lee Dumas has done it. So, so when you talk about just doing a show, entertainment, throwing everything away, how are we going to get to six figures with that? I think it's a little bit less clear precisely how you do it. It would be some kind of affiliate advertising. I think if you're focusing on building the right kind of audience, then it wouldn't be a problem. It's like someone was asking Jerry Seinfeld, I think it was Howard Stern actually, why would would Seinfeld succeed today? And he said, sure it would. The reason is, is that we had the right audience. We had the right demographic. And that's critical. So if you're building a show for entrepreneurs and people trust you, I don't think you're going to have too much of trouble if you're putting out. I mean, I think there's an opportunity for someone to step up and be the Howard Stern of lifestyle business or whatever. So Totally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Challenge number five. If you just graduated from college with a liberal arts degree and you had no business skills, which skill would you work on acquiring first? The implication a, being that if you, you have no skills if you graduate liberal arts, I can confirm <laughs> this is probably true. <laughs> there was uh, someone on Hacker News the other day that I tweeted out and it said, uh, you know, what the class of uh, 63 of Harvard Business School, you know, what their advice was on life, love, and happiness and all this stuff. And uh, I thought it was cool. You know, I read through like 20 or 30 of these people. And uh, I, first of all, I love reading old stuff and seeing if it applies today. And by I mean old stuff, I mean these people are old now. They're 80 years old. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> I like I like to hear what they have to say. But uh, what was the question? You're old now too, buddy. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> the question was, is which skill set would you develop? Right. And now you're waxing on about Harvard people. Okay, because the reason was uh, a lot of these guys, they, they uh, built companies. And the way that you build a company is you have to sell something. And so the skill that I would build is just sell anything. Just figure out a way to sell anything. I think a lot of us are, are scared to sell things. You know, I think a lot of us are scared to ask for money. And I think it's one of the hardest skills that you can acquire. And if you acquire it early on, the better off you are. So for me, as an example, when I was 15 years old, I used to work in a bike shop. And I used to sell bikes and I used to work on bikes. And I got paid a commission, so that made it really easy to sell. But I also figured out really early on how to sell people not just what they, what I wanted to sell them, but what they needed. You know what I mean? So that's a skill that I learned very early on, and I think it's it's helped me tremendously because now I can look at just about any product and I can figure out a marketing way or an angle to sell that product. And I think that's really valuable. So I'd say to these guys that are getting out of liberal arts school, I'd say even if you have to go to freaking Payless and sell shoes, figure out a way to learn how to sell anything. Totally agree. I mean. What my note was is anything that's non-falsifiable. And this harkens back to earlier in the episode when we were saying really wanting to improve yourself. 
Look, if you have a, a decent enough product on the showroom floor and people walk into the showroom and you can't make that connection happen on a regular basis, you're going to know just how good of a salesperson you are pretty yeah. quickly. And part of the problem with the internet is it gives us that wiggle room. Yeah, you don't have to talk to people. You don't have to talk to people. It's all about conversions and traffic and this kind of stuff. And it's like, wait a second. Do, do any of our business really result? Do we sit around and talk about traffic ever? I mean, there are businesses that do that, but what we talk about is customers, clients, relationships, product. How good is the product? What's our pitch? So yeah, for me, it's anything that's non-falsifiable, anything that forces you to measure yourself and improve. I love the sales idea. What I would probably choose, to be honest, is business accounting. I'll tell you the reason. I think it's a skill set like, I have, a, I have a bunch of friends who are developers. That skill set to become a full stack developer could take years. Okay. Business accounting, pretty quick. I can I, become I, a competent accountant pretty quick. So I could take that and sell those services or use that expertise to whittle myself into a business. I think it gives you a lot of power and leverage in a business. I actually disagree with you. And here's right. the reason why I'm going to disagree with you is because I think that's one of those skills that uh, is acquired over time. And I think that's one of the best ways to learn that skill is to get uh, is to acquire it over time. I've talked to kids that have like got out of business school and things like that. Yeah, they like know how to read a P&L sheet, but they don't know how to manipulate the things in their business to make a change on that sheet. You know what I mean? So it's like you got to work in business for a while to understand how that sheet moves around and, and what decisions you make change uh, those numbers. I see where you're going with that. And I agree that even people who know this stuff are generally worthless. That's why I think it's kind of interesting to learn that skill set, right? Which is, so if the idea is that you're going to be starting a business, that would be a really powerful thing to know about. Yeah, I don't disagree with you 100%, by the way. Uh, I think in 2007, like, I, I think I had a conversation with you about this. I was like, oh, should I go to community college and like learn how to read a P&L and a balance sheet and all this stuff? And I think and that, we disparaged that we, idea. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I saw a tweet from Justin Cook yesterday. He he tweeted out this great article from James Clear. It's called You're Not Good Enough to Be Disappointed. And I think it's like within the theme of, of some of the things we've been talking about this episode, which is just that this idea that unless you're a pro, you're not you haven't earned the right to be disappointed in your performance. You've earned the right to go work harder. And part of, you know, the theme of having the jam session, having the right forms of leverage, having non-falsifiable skill sets, as Jesse Lawler put it on this podcast, being able to measure yourself and being willing to improve. Uh, That to me is, these are these, these critical mindset things that create success. Yeah, I love that idea. So so the idea is like if you're a professional, like you have practiced and trained for years and years and years and then you get out there on stage and like you blow it. And then you can be disappointed, right? Yeah. Because you've done all the prep, you've done everything right to get to that point. You just failed in the moment, right? But if you're an amateur and you're on the stage and you don't have a lot of time dancing around or whatever, it's like, hey, I got to go back and practice. I haven't put in the time that the professionals put in yet. I and like that. F- and finally, you know, be brave enough to define what your success is. You know, it's so rare that people say, you know, what's your objective with this? And people be like, oh, you know, I'm going to go get, I'm going to get traffic and I'm going to get convert. You know, it's like, wait a second. It's a wide open world. You don't have to become a millionaire. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. Define what your success looks like. What is success for you? Because you can get it. Yeah. And make it about what you want, right? There you go. 
Make it about what you want. Your success is very different than somebody else's success. And like that's the cool thing about the internet and the world that we live in today is that we get to define that for ourselves. We're so lucky, right? Make blogs, not money, buddy. We're hey, so my lucky. success is coming here and doing this podcast with you. You can find the notes to this one, the link to that James Clear article and a bunch of other stuff. TropicalMBA.com slash thought experiments. That was a pretty interesting thought experiment. <laughs> I'm tapped out. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us at Tropical MBA Podcast. We'll be here next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA Podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning. 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.